Dear friends, welcome back to the latest episode in the podcast series, The Way Out Is In. I am Brother Fap Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Zen Master Tikkenhan under the community of Plum Village. And I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems change. And in today's podcast, we will be speaking about how mindfulness can support a healthy relationship. The way out is in. Now, Brother Fapu, I am. This is not my favorite because the tables have turned, haven't they? Yes, they have. So um, today we have a special guest, and it just happens by chance. I don't know how this happens to be my wife, Paz. Yes, today our special guest is Paz. She is sitting with us as one of our speakers, and I'm terrified, Fapu, and I'll tell you why. Because um, you know, when you're on a podcast, you can say all sorts of beautiful things. But you know that you have a partner who's listening to it and knows the truth. And so, you know, you always want to separate your sort of, in quotes, work life from your personal life. But here they collide. So actually, this is when uh, the truth comes out. And I'm terrified. Well, we say understanding is love. <laughs> so today, this will be our theme. And let us begin by welcoming Paz and asking Paz to share a few lines. How are you today, Paz? Hi, darling. <laughs> Very brave husband I have. Um, so, dear Ty and dear listeners and dear brother and Joe, thank you, first of all, for inviting me. I feel like it's upgrading. Usually I'm sitting in the corner somewhere in this room when I accompany Joe uh, to the podcast. And uh, today I'm sitting around the table of uh, Thai in this beautiful, humble um, hut. And I feel very honored. So thank you. Wonderful. So in the practice of mindfulness and in the teachings of our teacher, Zen Master Tikkhan, Engaged Buddhism, applied Buddhism, is not only for monks and nuns, but our teacher offered this teaching to all walks of life. And we have a lot of retreats for family, for couples, for activists, and we always speak about nourishing love because in our life, we all have relationship. And relationship is such a crucial element of keeping our joy, our energy, our our eyes of understanding to continue to be open because we want to understand our life more, understand the ones who we are with. And it would be so much better to have Joe and Paz to speak with me about how the practice has become part of your daily life. And I think this will be very exciting and very interesting for our listeners to hear because as a monk, I speak more about sitting on the cushion, inviting the bell, how to bring mindfulness to our breath and our body. But I feel like to go into the core of 
how to bring the practice into our day-to-day life, how to take care of our love. Let us begin with the, the story, the journey. Who brought who to Plum Village or the teachings of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh? I would imagine that answer to that is obvious, Fapu. It's clearly it wasn't me, so I'll let Paz do that bit. Okay, so... Um Yeah, so I brought I brought us. I mean, I and so somehow it was a really interesting time in my life 15 years ago when uh, the right teacher and the right man arrived at the, almost the same time into my life and something transformed profoundly and and I can say my life really started in a different um, direction from then. So uh, I introduced Joe to the practice. And Joe, were you open right away to this practice? Well, I I learned that um, I knew Paz well enough to know that she had more answers than I did. So if she said this is a way, then it was a way I was happy to follow. But I mean, I had been um, involved in personal development for for many many years, and um, and in a sense, what I when I came across Thai's teachings, what came to me so quickly was just how gentle and deep they are. Because I, I'd, in my earlier life, I'd sort of been doing sort of much, in a sense, more uh, wrestling, sort of almost mental and emotional wrestling with issues in my life, which had its place at that age. But then I got to the stage where actually I realized that I needed something much more gentle, something that uh, that I could rest in rather than fight with. Mm. I am curious, what was the first commitment? In the practice that you brought home as a couple, right? So, so let me um, just explain in order to un- to understand my answer better. I was um, before I met Thai. I was 10 years practicing with other traditions. One is was uh, Japanese, and one was Tibetan. And in none of them, I felt like when I when I met Thai, I could reflect and see that I didn't get any tools that helped me really practically in relationship, which I suffered for many years trying to find the right person, but also the right configuration that will make me happy and will fulfill my real deep aspiration to have find a par- partner that I can have also develop a spiritual uh, aspiration together and practice together. And um, so for me, actually, one the, the, the first thing that happened um, was that... Um, I came across the uh, practice of beginning anew in a book, and I can't remember which book it was. And um, when Joe reappeared in my life, because we had a gap of uh, how long? Twenty years um, between the first time that we met, and and when he appeared, and I consider it as a complete miracle, and at the same time a complete. It has its own logic in my development in my life that he arrived at that point with Ty arriving, uh, that I knew. That I have to make that relationship happen, and um, I introduced Joe to the beginning a new practice. And I lived at that time in Amsterdam, and Joe was living in the UK. And we started uh, doing the beginning a new practice um, on the phone, and uh, we're doing it for 15 years every week. And I must say that only now that we moved living uh, close to Plum Village, it changed a little bit because uh, also COVID time makes us, we are 24-7 together, so we have a chance to um, look at things more on the spot. 
and also being co- so close in Plum Village, you kind of, the Dharma comes from different doors, but uh, we still practice it uh, quite diligently. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I find it a core practice for, um, that can support a relationship. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that, you know, the point Paz made, which, which resonated deeply with me is that, you know, love is a wonderful thing, but, but at the same time, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, survive on its own unless you look after it yeah i i I looked at it as a maintenance as Mm. i I felt like even with our very romantic story we need um we need maintenance and an intelligent maintenance that we both see the value in to to help us to um to guide us actually and to Um, support us yeah one one of the the insights uh, from ty he he i think he talks about what happens in relationships is is lots of little things can can happen that annoy or cause offense or which on their own aren't very big and often then as a result don't get dealt with and so mm-hmm. he talks about sort of it's almost like a, a stalactite or stalactite in, in a cave where there's a small small drip of little things but those small drips eventually create this huge calcified monolith Mm. And um, and that if you don't address things when they arise, then they get buried under and can turn from uh, into resentment and into uh, anger. And and I always remember uh, my sister; uh, she used to work at the Treasury in the UK, the government Treasury. And uh, a story came out one time, which was of um, this man who was a colleague of hers, who had murdered his wife Hmm. because she had not put the mustard in the right place wow and and i always remember reading that and thinking well of course it wasn't because the mustard was in the wrong place but it must have been sort of this drip drip of things in that relationship whatever they were that led to this catastrophic outcome and i think a lot of relationships tend to unless they're renewed consistently then they tend, you know, either things are developing or, or, or withdrawing. So I think that this practice has been um, very important. But Pazzi, it might be helpful to actually describe the practice. Yeah, I'd love to. And um, maybe I should state them first and then maybe give an example how we're doing it so it become more uh, real. Yeah, that'd be great. So um, the, the three classical stages are to... What are the positive seeds in the other person to express regret and to express hurt? And we added, when we practice, we also end up with a positive um, kind of echo at the end. So we kind of ending with a positive note. So I'll explain. So um, when we um, focusing on the positive seeds of another person, it's actually very... um, very unusual to do that, especially if if we do have in us uh, the wish to express the heart. And the mind, uh, I notice, at least by me, is um, having the tendency to focus on negativity. And when we are focusing on positive uh, seeds, it's changed something in our system and make us more soft and allow us to proceed to the other two stages in a different state of mind. And also... When there is, um, I know for myself, when there is a hurt, um, often it's become like a cloud and it's become so big that it's take all over, it's conquered the whole sky. 
and uh, we can't see seem seem to see you know what is positive in that in the person which obviously uh, is there but we are just clouded and we can't see it so that is um, my experience that when Joy and I are practicing it um, it is um, a relief and um, I can give an example for this um, actually fresh from our last Friday talk so just before I I go into the uh, Uh, details of it. Um, Joe and I have a, a way that we, uh, as, as I shared, we, we're practicing for 15 years every week. And I think it's very important as a couple to create a, an intimate environment and a safe environment where we, instead of uh, looking at it as something that is an obligation every week, it's becoming something that we choose to to do it because we know the results are positive and we take refuge, we learn to take refuge in it. So um, we um, don't do it exactly as Plum Village uh, and practicing it within the monastery uh, boundaries, but we go to a cafe uh, because we like that kind of environment uh, to, to be intimate with each other. And um, that's one, one, one way that we're doing it or we are doing it in nature. And um, instead of holding a flower, which is the traditional way, the one who speaks, uh, hold a flower, we hold a latte and in my case a green tea and, uh, and a cake and we make it like a celebration time. Um, so, um, the, the, for example, um, the example that I can give from, to, from this week is that I said to Joe, that it can be really something small, but as we said before, uh, things that are aggravating, you know, become something big at the end. So it's really important, even when we think it's not important, to mention them. So, for example, I'm working on a, on a big installation at the moment in my studio, and Joe uh, made frames to all of the 16 panels, quite a lot of work. And he offered to do it with such an easy and easy way and such a generosity. And he did a brilliant job. And I was thanking him for that. Um, and another thing that happened uh, that is more um, kind of having more weight to it is that um, um, we, had, we had this thing that uh, if we said that we're going to leave the house even for a walk, let's say, at a certain time, I can take my time uh, and not be on time. And uh, I know for a lot of couples it's a major, uh, f- uh, create a major fric- uh, friction in the relationship. And today I've been in, at my best. I have been really late um, because I decided to, to take somehow a sit before to, to do sitting meditation, then a long shower, and I wasn't on time. And Joe was uh, doing, uh, preparing breakfast and I didn't help. So when I came down, Joe was a bit upset and he expressed it. And, uh, and I knew that I, I, I should have communicated better. And then Joe made me today um, pancakes. And uh, one of the pancakes was in the shape of a heart by chance. It just happened that it got the shape of a heart and he brought it to me. And it was so beautiful when he did it because it felt like um, he can go beyond his, his upsetness, you know, about being disappointed that I didn't help. And, and I acknowledge that, even so small and so beautiful. So um, it can be, that can be an example, for example. Um, the second stage of uh, expressing um, 
regret is um, a chance to, uh, first of all, it's humbling to do, and it's a chance to take uh, responsibility for my own history with that probably with that hurt that um, that I felt from somebody from outside of me. Because often it's not the other person um, that hurts me, but it is my own seeds that are getting watered by that action. And I can give an example. Um, I have I have a car sickness, so if I don't drive, I need really for Joe to enjoy the driver. I need him to drive slowly, and this is ongoing dialogue for 15 years. So it's something old. We know that we have that sensitivity, and again, this is a classical example of so many couples are divorcing about the fact that they're sitting together in a car and actually realize they can't sit together in a car, and. Um, so I, I understand it very, uh, very um, much from my own experience. So when when I feel sick, in, when when Joe go f- quickly in curves, um, it's it feels it's not his problem that he's doing it. It's he's, he's happy to drive, let's say, fast. But for me, what it does is that it tapping into my um, old wound of feeling that I'm not heard or that I'm not respected. So when I express to Joe that. Um, my anger around him driving fast after so many years of explaining that he should not drive fast in curves, it comes with all this baggage of me being, um, um, having that sensitivity around not being heard. And so when I, when I, um, for example, this, uh, this week when I expressed my uh, regret, I said, you know, it's not, it's not your, your, um, problem, you know, that I have car sickness, but I can only ask and ask and ask again, because I know how difficult it is to remember, especially when you do something so automatic, if you can please respect my needs. And um, and I want you to know that I know that I have this history around being not heard. So it comes bigger than it is. And that's, that's, um, that's yeah, that feels for both of us really like a relief when, when it's a, a managed to be expressed through mindful speech, which the, the mindful speech and deep listening are two of the main ingredients in the exercise of doing the beginning anew. And the third one is expressing hurt. So once I already uh, arrived to, the, to that stage when I need to do the expressing of the hurt, I'm already, as I said before, softened. And something that bothers me so much, let's say in the beginning of the week, is now much more weakened. And um, I am feeling much more skillful to express it without blaming, without um, having a power game, without uh, taking advantage on anything, without getting insulted and so on, uh, which is often uh, how we, we, we use we are trained to solve so-called the problem. So I'm expressing that way that I'm only using the word I. I don't start with you because uh, when you start with you, it's usually out there and I want to be responsible for that hurt that I have. So I, for example, in a, another example fresh from this week, I um, I said to Joe that I felt that this week because of what he's going through, uh, in his life, I felt that he doesn't have uh, 
the patience. To, uh, this week I didn't feel that he has enough patience for uh, my needs uh, around does matter the story, and 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 yeah, that that was also very good to um, to express and to see how how he can also receive it. So that's basically the the the, th- the three main stages, and we end up. We call, by the way, we call the 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 stages of expressing her on the development, and um, and the, the the two stages before on the positive, and. Um, we do it mainly on Fridays because Fridays used to be our free day, both of us. And um, we, we we make sure that we do it regularly and um, also not too long, so not to make it uh, too indulged and uh, avoiding, you know, all the... Uh, things that can happen, like a need to justify or a need to explain, you know. So, so when somebody is speaking, we know that the other person is just listening, and uh, and then we change roles. And um, one thing to say in general, it's that it's it's a great um, practice, but it's not a magic formula. Uh, we had we did once a, a workshop, and um, one of the participant it was a woman that went through a difficult time in her relationship um with an abusive husband and um and she she was so much wanting to to apply that and to in a way to force him to join her in that and it is impossible it's something that you need to do when it's the right conditions for it and every dynamic of relationship is different and we need to have the discernment to know when to do what but what we experienced for the last 15 years is that we created a safe place for us to take refuge in and i Joe was saying the other day, we were talking about it, and Joe was saying something really not true. He said, it's not about being perfect, it's about being a better person. And I want to add to it that it's not about being perfect relationship, not to have a perfect relationship, but it's to know that we have a path. And when we have a path, we know that we can always fall onto it. And we have a place that can hold us and it's like a compass. It just brings us straight to align with our um, aspiration to, to have a good relationship. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I can share about it. Wow, beautiful. Just by listening to your sharing, it makes me understand that love is a living thing. It's not something that you receive once and it will last forever, right? And these these steps that Paz has shared, it doesn't only belong in um, a relationship between two, two persons, but in our community, um, Plum Village, the monks and the nuns, we also practice this. And for us in Upper Hamlet, we do it at least once a month. And the practice, it just brings a wonderful space of communication. As we know that when we, when we are in any relationship, we want to have understanding. Because understanding is, is a bridge that connects all of us. And, 
and to have time and to have also the courage to listen is also a practice in itself, right? And that's why I I feel Joe, you practice a lot of deep listening. I certainly do. <laughs> so I think this is also a very important practice that we we practice in. School Plum Village, our meditation. Even when we say coming back to our breath, we learn to listen to our breathing. So I, I can see that in a relationship, we translate this listening to our breath to listening to our partner, and not just what she says, but we also learn to listen to how she's doing, what are what is going, um, how is her energy, and letting her know that I am here for you. So we have these four mantras. Also, as part of the Plum Village Dharma Doors that our teacher has introduced to um, friends that come to Plum Village in order to take care of relationships, so I would like to dig into it a little bit. And I think there are four wonderful um, sentences that have a lot of power when we can express it with our true presence. So, Joe, would you take us away? Well, brother, just before we go to that, can I just mention one thing of about course. beginning new, which I. Which I just want to add in. Um, one, I think, is that be, you know, beyond what Pan said about knowing, if you if you know there's a formal space, then it, it's so much easier to say things. I, I I found in in all sorts of relationships that a little thing happened, it causes an aggravation, but it's it doesn't feel that important that we, and we we it's sometimes hard to find a moment to say something. So we're waiting for a moment to say something and then it doesn't feel right or we say it at the wrong moment. But I think carving out just a formal space just means that actually it's welcomed in. And I think that's a, that's a fundamental shift. And, and the other thing about um, beginning anew that I found very useful is that actually what it does is it generates compassion because it makes and it's made me realize it's very difficult to change. You know, there's certain things in a relationship that we wish someone would be different. And so it comes up in the sort of Friday talk, oh, this really annoyed me that you did this. And then you realize actually there, there's a pattern that actually this tends to come up a lot. But also it didn't just come up from my side or come up from, it also comes up from Paz's side. So there are things about her that she would like me to change and things about me that would like her to change. And actually, you realize that actually, it's hard to change. You know, some of the things that have annoyed me about Paz still come up. And some of the things that I that annoy her about, uh, that she gets annoyed about me still come up. And I think what that does is sometimes we just laugh about it. Because we think, oh, here we go. This whole thing comes up. And it's not, what you realize is it's not one person complaining about another. You realize actually it's difficult for both of us to change. And that actually means that if it's difficult for me, why would I expect my partner to change immediately or to change quickly or, or for old patterns not to reemerge? Mm. Yes, yeah, about having patience with each other too and accepting our loved ones as they are. Yeah. So, Pazzi, do you want to go through the four? Because you are much better at the practice than yeah, I am. Yeah, but just before, I have something else to add. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I think we're going to end up adding and adding. No, just two things. One is that um, as much as there is uh, mindful listening, there is a deep listening, there is also mindful speech. Mm -hmm. And um, I know for myself, I can be quite uh, sharp with my tongue and the... the um, Knowing that 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 I have on Friday the chance to express myself in a way that I will not be 
stopped and not judged. And um, it's not a, a call and respond. It's really to listen to each other and to speak from my heart in a way that is generating love, even if I have to say express a heart. It's, it's, um, it's very unusual in this world and, um, and in relationship. And um, I, I know it because I experienced relationship which didn't work. And um, I valued it very much. So that's one. So, so Ty's practice is actually a masterstroke. And, and actually, when people ask us, you know, or talk about problems, their relationship, and we talk about the beginning in you practice that Ty developed, actually, a lot of them who have tried it say it has really, really helped them. Mm. So, so, you know, and, and this is, I think, a core part of Ty's teachings that, that he has the deep insights, but then leads to the practical application. And that just that one practice on its own, and there are others we can talk about, has been instrumental in us maintaining a healthy, vibrant and happy relationship. Mm. Yeah, and mm. there is a, a logical, uh, a comp- I call it compassionate logical to the order of the stages because you water first the positive seed, which is like first happiness, mm. first something which can give us a base to talk later on about what, what is more our suffering. So it's very logical and it's like saying, I'm here for you and I'm... I know that you are there and I'm happy. Those two, the two first mantras are there in that first uh, act. And, and how rare is that to take a moment in time to stop together and to appreciate each other's presence? The, it's so valuable. I, I just want to say that is so important because especially if we forget to see the beauty of the relationship is very easy to go down a rabbit hole of suffering and just start criticizing each other, start blaming each other. And I think those are the moments when we have to also invite mindfulness up when our mind goes in that direction only of just seeing negativity in someone. And the practice would chime in to say, take a breath, take a pause, also to look at the bright side of the relationship. And that's why the first step in the practice of beginning anew is to bring our mindfulness to the beautiful qualities of the other person. And like Paz, you shared, just by practicing that, you are practicing the first mantra, which is, I am here for you. Because you can only be present to share that, right? Or else it's it doesn't have essence. It doesn't carry the spirit of our love and our understanding. Yeah, and to say, I am here for you, it's like, oh man, who who doesn't want to hear that in their life? Right. You know, I'm here for you. In other words, whatever's going on in your life, that you, I'm here, I, you can count on me. You can, um, you know, and, and, and to give you an example of, a practical example of that is um, when I first moved to New York for the for the job I took there, um, to begin with, it was a very difficult start to the job. And uh, there was one stage where it, you know, it was touch and go whether it would work out or not. And I always remember Paz said to me, you know, even though she was so happy to be in New York and, and we, we, you know, we so wanted to have a, you know, a period of our life there, that Paz said, I just want you to know, Joe, if this isn't right for whatever reason, I'm prepared to pack up our bags and we can go home tomorrow and and yes it will be difficult and we'll lose money and it will be you know there'll be all sorts of practical issues with that but but I'm I will be prepared to do that for you and and that gave me so much space because I could have just imagined 
another scenario when Paz was very needy and said, you know, you've got to make this work. You know, I, I didn't come here for to, to a few weeks and then go back. You know, I've, I've got stuff I want to do here. And I would have shrunk to a dot and, and thought, oh, my God, I feel trapped. Mm. So so that's a one example of, of when you say I'm there for you, it creates space and and just that fact just is like a safety net it's like even if i fall that i will be held mm. and then the second mantra which uh, we have already shared and pass you touch on it is i know you are there and i am very happy mm. i think that's a gift when you when you're able to express that to someone that is dear to you absolutely that's uh, that's also um i want to say about those two two ones the, the two mantras that it's helped me to cultivate a trust and uh to to know that somebody is there for me and that that somebody is happy that i am here for him that's that's something that is giving trust to to be basically to to allow myself to be who I am and to know that I'm going to be accepted as I am and to uh, help me to accept the other person as he is, um, yeah. And and to say I know that you are there and I'm happy is um, is always help me to reflect on gratitude and and, and fresh not, not to take things for granted. It's so easy in a relationship to just fall into uh, familiarity. And that allow me to look at Joe fresh every time I knew. Because every time we're changing, the week brings uh, challenges and stuff. And every time I can see the beauty of how he navigates uh, through the challenges or whatsoever is there. And and it's deepened my love to him. Mm. Yeah, and and also that, you know, when when we choose to make an effort in a relationship and, and go out of our way to do something... Um, to know that it's appreciated mm. just makes you want to give more. You know, it's such a classic thing. If, if, I, if I were to do things for Paz and, and it had no impact, you know, she, she said nothing. Mm. And then I did it again, she said nothing. You know, eventually the, the human mind works and say, well, actually, if I'm not appreciated, why should I bother? And the converse is obviously um, true, which is that if Paz says, I really appreciate the way you cooked that meal for me, even though you were very tired or whatever. It just says, okay, I, of course I'll do that again and again. So, so beyond the fact that it's, it's lovely to hear, it's actually necessary to hear. We, as human beings, we need to be seen and appreciated. And when we are, we just, you know, our hearts open. We, we want to do more of it. Right. I, I, I also recognize in all of us, it's like we have the capacity to love that means we want to offer love also. And that means we also want to receive love. That's a very mm. human nature. And recognizing the simple gestures in life is so important, right? Sometimes our teacher, he, um, we would have a meal together and um, one of the cooks would, would offer the meal and might be for the cook is, is his or her honor to serve a meal for Thai. But Thai would always appreciate and I would say thank you so much for cooking and I know that appreciation will last them maybe three months like yeah. that energy of gratitude will will last them for like three months yeah, yeah. so simple yet so profound let's go to the third mantra right. Pazzy yeah. <laughs> the third mantra <laughs> is I know that you suffer and I'm here for you um, that is also a big one 
uh, first of all, to recognize something beyond myself, you know, to see that there is a, a person that suffers there and to to let to let in my case, to let Joe know that I will do anything in my capacity to uh, relieve his pain and and sometimes it's as simple as just be there for him to download what he needs just to listen and that does the job and um it's make the the person make for example me a sen- being sensitive to his space and to his needs and also um not not to think about what i think that he needs but rather learn what are the needs for him to relieve the suffering not what i think about it but what he really needs and to try to provide it if i can mm. yeah and and i i think in some relationships you know there's this wish to be perfect it, it's fine to to have fun it's fine great to have a good time but then as someone as soon as someone shows their suffering it's like oh well you know hide that under the carpet that's not that's not why i'm with you I got together with you because you were the fun person or you were this or that. And and so I think it's just to recognize that we all suffer and and that when it's acknowledged, again, it creates space. I, and in, in a sense, all these practices create spaciousness and trust, don't they? That it's saying, actually, I know you suffer. It's like, oh, thank you for knowing that mm. because often our suffering feels we feel very lonely with our suffering we feel it's hard to share we feel it will be judged or diminished or we feel humiliated or we feel you know a thousand negative things come up when we're when when we feel we have to hide those things from our from ourselves and others and so just you know for me it's about it's permission saying i know you suffer okay i'm Mm. being given permission to show my suffering right and that in itself diminishes it yes because we all when we're in a relationship we also practice in our dharma is that we see the other person as us also right and this is the insight of interbeing so of course it's all um, flowers and balloons and butterflies when we're all joyful we can hold hands skipping down uh, the park and we we also um, get that nourishment, the freshness, the joy, the stability in the other person, but also in our practice is recognizing what is happening in the very here and now. So when we see someone who is so dear to us suffer, it is, I would say, our responsibility to also come to him or her or they and share, darling, I know you suffer and I'm here for you. And sometimes that might just open a whole door for them to be able to feel love, to to open their heart. And maybe like you shared, Joe, sometimes when you suffer, you also, you bring yourself down more than you should, I feel. And to know that someone recognizes that and gives us that permission to, to suffer and then give us permission to share about it. I think sometimes being able to to share is such a key a key element in relationship because even in my community with many, many, many brothers and sisters, I see that we have, um, we create our schedule to have space for formal settings, but also informal settings, which is like having tea together, um, having time for dessert together, because those are also moments of just being able to express because sometimes in, 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 in an environment where when you can 
have your awareness and you say, this is that moment that you would like for him or her to know that I am here for you, right? And, and I think, brother, that, you know, every relationship has its own dynamics. Right. And, and you know, it's difficult enough for me to understand myself, just if you if you if you don't if if you put me in a in a dark room for the next thirty years, I would still struggle to understand myself. And you put yourself in an intimate relationship with and even one you know one other person, and you're colliding with all their complexity and all their suffering. And and I think one of the things about suffering, and this is of course the first noble truth uh, in Buddhism, that there is suffering. Is is so much the time. Um, the society has been built to avoid our suffering and and to find ways to to get round it without actually facing it. So so often what you'll have is a situation where you'll have the honeymoon period in a relationship, as you say, where everyone's skipping. It's like whatever the other person do can't they can't do wrong. And then after a while, of course, surprise, surprise, issues come up, sufferings come up. And a lot of the time people don't want to know that. They said, but I didn't get together for you to be like that. And so I think there's something around recognizing suffering is also res- recognizing the suffering in yourself. Because we're like, we're like tuning forks. If, let's say, Paz expresses a suffering, then at some level, I will also have that suffering, not in that form, but in another form. And, and in, you know, in, in Buddhism, there's the whole idea of the st- of store consciousness which is that we have the sea every type of seed whether it's joy happiness suffering hatred um jealousy or whatever so so when paz when so- something comes up in her suffering it's going to resonate to that aspect of me that is suffering so to say i acknowledge your suffering is without even knowing it saying i also acknowledge my suffering it's never a one way. It's not a sort of, I'm being kind to you by acknowledging your suffering. Behind that is also, I also recognize that suffering in myself. And Paz, can you share with us the fourth mantra? Yes. So the fourth mantra is, uh, I'm suffering, please help. Help! <laughs> help! <laughs> so, help! Help! <laughs> so um, I, I find this one, uh, for me, the most challenging because I'm kind, kind of a private person and quite proud also and always think that I can solve my own problems on my own. But experience uh, taught me now by doing that is that I'm getting a lot of help uh, just by being able to say um, I'm suffering. And there is a kind of a humbling element to it to be able to say that and not to go and, you know, to my studio and hide, uh, go to my, you know, creating my my works and not, not talk about it. And then things in me can aggravate. And then before I know it, I can say something unskillful. Or, or act unskillful because I didn't share. So it's preventing me from aggravation of uh, negativity. And um, it's allowing the other person actually uh, entry 
to to my my situation, which if I wouldn't say, he, he not necessarily can feel that or know, even if he's you know my partner. Um, so yeah, and I think it's a self is a is a this one is I I experience as a self as an self, act of self love, saying that. Yeah, the power to say, I can't solve this on my own. Mm. You know, and 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 again, you know. So much, especially in Western society, you know, we're taught to be uh, independent, that we can solve our own problems. And, and particularly for men, I think that's a, uh, often, it's not necessarily, not always the case, but men tend to sort of be less emotionally intelligent than women as a general rule, maybe. Um, and And the idea that, you know, strength is to hold it together to put on a brave face to you know to keep your stiff upper lip um is just such a a, a betrayal of oneself actually because because it just creates harm and it, it just hides the problem but to actually say i don't know mm. i really need help it just it's permission to open up yourself so as you show your vulnerability so it's like you take your armor off you say Actually, I don't know the answer to this. But it also allows the other person to love you. So Paz, mm. by saying, I need help, allows Paz a route, allows the door to be opened, allows her to love me. Whereas if I'm trying to be strong and, and in denial and pretending it's all okay, actually, I don't, I, that's not love. And mm. I don't give her the ability to love me. Right. This is, this is one of the strongest and most powerful practice for relationship and also for community. Because when we live with each other, we, we, we have perceptions also about each other. And sometimes we hold on a perception. Um, and maybe because if someone that is so dear to us have said or done something that hurts us more than someone who may not have such an impact in our life, but it's because that person said that or, or done that. And sometimes we don't know why. And then we start to create a story about it. And many formations will come up like jealousy, anger, um, hatred, or even feeling discriminated. All of these, what we call mental formation in Buddhist psychology will manifest. And our teacher teaches us that sometimes in love, we also have to have courage to face the difficulties, face the seeds that are manifesting and recognizing it. And able to express it, right? And having also the one who we think may be the ones that is causing us suffering just so they can hear us. Because like you said, Joe, if you don't tell me, how do I know? And I think sometimes we, we this is my own experience is also sometimes we, we think that everyone, especially our loved ones, should understand us. But we also have to know that love is always growing and we're always changing. And we also have to let the other person in too. So I think that having the ability to share, darling, I suffer, please help. And this is why. And our teacher teaches us that when we are on the receiving end, we, we, we have to practice compassionate listening at that moment, even though our, our natural reaction may say, oh, that's wrong, uh, mm -mm, that's not correct. But at that very moment, that person is being very vulnerable to express the hurt that is present in, in them. So Tai always teaches us that we have to listen first, 
just so that person can empty his or her or their hearts out so that they can feel light. And when the right timing, maybe it's in that session, um, we said, and maybe we can even ask permission, can, can I share from, from listening to you? And we may have a chance to, to express the other side of the story or what we think is happening. And this is where we are developing communication, a mutual understanding. And I think this element is inclusiveness, equanimity in love, which are one, is the last four elements of true love that the Buddha teaches, which is the first one is loving kindness, then compassion. And at this moment, we are taking care of our, uh, and cultivating the compassion to be there for one another. And then the joy. But at this very moment, when we listen like that, we are also practicing interbeing. We're practicing your suffering is my suffering. And my joy will also be your joy. So my healing will also be your healing. My transformation will also be your transformation. And this is where love has no boundary. And this is a very deep teaching of, of Buddhist love. Yeah, lovely. And, and beyond that, brother, I think there's also something about trust for me that's very important. Because I think that, um, you know, that, that we, we're very protective of our vulnerabilities, and if if we share a vulnerability and then get attacked for it, because that's that's the fear, isn't it? That we're vulnerable, we open up, and then someone has a go at us. Doesn't actually listen to it, but just chooses to to criticize us or to say, "But you keep on saying that," or, or whatever it might be. Um, that after a certain amount, number of times, people will stop sharing. Right. They'll close down. Right. So actually, this is this is very very sensitive territory. That you know for. You know, if, if I were to share with Paz and she immediately attacks back or whatever, or she says something back, then I, after a few times I'll say, actually, I'm not going to do that again because it's too painful. So I think what this practice does about deep listening and all this is it, it really, really develops trust and sensitivity. And um, I, I, I would like to speak about... Um the vows that the two of you made. So for all of our listeners, um, Paz and Joe have been coming to Plum Village for many years. And one of a relationship that has been created through your experience with us is also this relationship between uh, you and our teacher, Zen Master Tikin Han Tai, and the monks and nuns of Plum Village. And at one stage, you asked if if the community can marry the two of you. And it happened in the Upper Hamlet in Plum Village. So I think that was a very special day for the two of you. And I know in our practice of marriage, is, um, it's about also reflection. There's a space for reflection, a space of, of seeing what are the vows that we would like to make for one another as we enter into this journey together as companions. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I need to go back in time. It's like, I think, 10 years ago, Joe? 10, 10 years ago. Um, so um, we already uh, just married in, in a civil uh, way, but we felt like um, that it's not enough. We want to, to kind of make a mark on the, on the spiritual dimension. And uh, we were quite uh, new at that time. I mean, we were... How many years we've been with Thai? Yeah, a year or, or two years or something. And anyway, we were we were just um, 
it was very clear to us that that's what we want to do. So on our way to, uh, remember in the airplane, our way to Plum Village to the retreat in the winter, we just said to each other, we're going to ask to be married here. And, um, and we were very, very honored that it was... Um, possible to do and we had um, Sister Chen Kong uh, conducting the ceremony and Sister Gina was there and uh, a few monastics and um, we had a beautiful uh, humble ceremony in Upper Hamlet in the uh, meditation hall and um, we've been asked before to uh, for the day of the ceremony to uh, compose our vows to each other, which is um, it's really like giving us the space to look in deeply into what we would like to um, to take responsibility for, and. Um, I remember mine. I remember yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> well, maybe you should. Can, can we stop? For, can we have a half-hour break here, please? <laughs> well, I'll talk about mine. You can talk about yours. But I, um, I, I said that um, I want to be reminded um, by having the sangha witnessing, um, not to take advantage on Joe's good nature because. Um, I recognize Joe has um, a very big heart. And um, I think I, I knew also from the past that he was, some some people could take advantage of it. And it was important for me to to not to do that because it's easy sometimes to forget, to remember to forget. And um, yeah, that was mine. What was yours? <laughs> so, well, well, there were a few, but the, the one that was key for me was I... I wrote that I did not ever want to imprison Paz in a gilded cage. And the reason for that is that, um, well, actually, just to, just to track back a bit, the, 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 the genesis of, of that was um, about 30 years ago when I was living in London, I went to a talk in what was then the Hammersmith Odeon, which was normally a venue for, for pop concerts. But, um, but um, there was a talk by Deepak Chopra. And, um, and before the talk, I went to a little, um, it was a little sort of pre-party um, before that. And he, he talked to various people. And when, when he started the talk, he said, uh, you know, the pre-party, someone came up to me and said, will your talk help me to chat up women at the bar? And he said he turned to that person and said, well, um, as a matter of fact, it will. And the, the guy said, well, how? And he backed up and said, well, what we tend to do is when we fall for someone or when we see a quality in someone that we are very attracted to, that is often because we feel we lack it. And so what tends to happen is, let's say, you'll often get a couple which is maybe someone is very outgoing and a partygoer and someone is very introverted. And what's going on in that dynamic hidden, it's unconscious, is that the introvert wants to be more like the extrovert. And so they think almost, again, unconsciously, that if they're with the extrovert, then naturally they will become more of an extrovert. In other words, they'll almost be able to take the quality that they see in the other person and own it for themselves because they're in an intimate relationship. Um, but then what tends to happen is that, uh, of course, the introvert stays the introvert 
and then they see the potty go going out to parties and they start to get resentful. And eventually they start to hate the very quality of the person that they fell in love with at the beginning. So he said, well, the answer to that is when you meet a woman at the bar or whatever and, and you see a quality that you really like, then become that person and offer that quality to her. And so, so my vow was based on the fact that what I loved about Paz was that she was free. She had an extraordinary sense of freedom. And for that freedom to, um, to express itself, she needs space and she needs time and she needs to be on her own. Whereas, of course, I am much more needy. And so it'd be very easy for me to have fallen for that exact um, same trap, which is to think, ah, you know, Paz is free, and, and if only, then I can sort of grab that, and I will end up feeling more free and less needy. And so my commitment to her by saying, I, I vow not to try and put you in a, imprison you in a gilded cage, was because if I ever put, tried to put Paz in the cage and try to close it down, actually I would kill off not only for myself in my relationship, the thing that I most admired, but I would kill off that very thing, attribute that is so beautiful in her. So that's uh, the main vow. There were others as well. There was a list, but that is that was actually what came to me just mm. the deepest. Mm. And after the marriage and the ceremony in the Upper Hamlet, you also had a chance to drink tea with Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh, our teacher Thay. I love hearing that story, and you've told me on a few occasions, but it always makes my heart warm. Yeah, um, I, um, I have a, a twist to it because I, I can tell that story, share that story, but I also have another portion of a story that happened in that meeting that I hardly talked about, which I would like to share to use this opportunity to share it. So, um, so okay, so it's I think it's around 10 years ago um, that we had the first tea with Thai. And um, it was beautiful um, invitation to, to very surprising uh, after our marriage here. And um, we, we went to the room, which was felt to me like really charged with um, Thai presence and, and very quiet, but kind of charged uh, quietness, you know, that you feel that there is a presence. And we've been three monastic and joined me. Tai was inviting us with a gesture of the hand to sit down and he held his little cup, glass cup uh, of tea and he was saying very uh, quietly with a smile on his face that was shy but also very confident and he was saying taste of tea, taste of time and that's it basically but my mind was just stopped. I can't explain it but it was like I something I recognized something and I didn't know what it is but then I heard a voice in me saying I'm sitting with a great river and um, I'm now going fast in time to the future after we left the room and, and we went home I joined that little practice in my meditation usually I had tea and then sitting in the morning but then I I took the, my tea to the up, upstairs room where we uh, did meditation. And um, I was lifting, I just imitated, I lifted the cup up 
and I would um, say taste of tea, taste of time, and and kind of recalling that moment. And I, I think I've done it maybe for a year, I don't know. And then a year after that, that, in, that meeting with Tai, a um, few delegation of monastic arrived to our house and... Um, I shared, one of them was with us in the room and I we kind of naturally shared about this event that happened a year ago. And I said, did you hear that I said that? Because Joe didn't register that and, um, and he neither. And I said how much it touches me. And the next day before they left, uh, that monk created a calligraphy for me on a A4 paper, you know, something really simple, taste of tea, taste of time. And I put it on the refrigerator, you know, on a magnet, you know. And when the brothers left, I don't know why, I, and now I know, but I, then I didn't know why. I took it out of the refrigerator and I put it really deep in the, I have a kind of a Dharma draw with all the materials, you know, that from the years I'm collecting. I put it really deep. I didn't want to see it. And I didn't know why, because I thought it was such a beautiful gesture of him to, to respond, you know, like this. And um, only now, in, in retrospective, I understand that I didn't want, or something in me didn't want to have kind of the solution outside of me. There was something in me that needed to crack that mantra that I said, and Okoan, and I didn't know... Um, I didn't know how to do it, so when he gave me the calligraphy, it was like it's going to be outside of me. So I put it, I put it in the drawer, and every now and then I would uh, practice with the tea, and sometimes not. You know, it wasn't it wasn't very steady. Then we moved to New York, and um, literally two years ago, just before we came to move to live in Plum Village, I made the tea in the morning and I took it to my area of meditation, and I was sitting with the tea up. And I said, taste of tea, taste of time. And then I heard a voice in me saying, taste of Thai. And at that moment, I just burst into laughter and tears at the same time. And it's like a huge stone rolled out of my heart. And um, what I realized is that Thai, in that moment that he said those just six words, he was embodied for me um, the answer that I asked my first Zen teacher many, many years ago, when I just in my first retreat, so I'll have to explain. Um, I came to uh, the Zen tradition uh, of the Mizumi Roshi with my teacher, uh, being leading it, the retreat, and I didn't know anything, nothing, nothing about Buddhism or meditation, and um, I didn't know anything about karma. I didn't even know that I know the word until I asked the question. And there was a question and answer time, and I asked, um, am I following a karma or am I creating a karma? And his answer was, neither, it's both. And of course, I couldn't correct that. And um, I didn't ask that question from intellectual perspective. I asked it because um, it was tapping very deeply into um, my childhood, so just in one sentence. Um, when I've been born, um, my birth to this world caused my mom to die because uh, in her pregnancy with me, she got very sick, a, a heart condition, and um, uh, that caused her all her life to be sick, all her short life, until my late teen when she died. And I had a very awkward relationship with her, and obviously I felt the guilt 
and I needed when I asked that question, I wasn't aware that I'm asking a question um, to do with with uh, relieving and getting the perspective of the ultimate in it. And when Tai was saying taste of tea, taste of time, and I added for myself taste of Thai, I could finally see how it is possible to embrace, I touched it for a moment, how can I embrace um, the ultimate and the relative, the historical dimension and the ultimate at the same time. And it gave me a huge space and relief from a very old pain that I didn't even know that I have. Another thing that happened when we've been in the room is that Thai asked us how uh, how were our time in Plum Village because it was our first retreat and we were about uh, to depart and he asked how were our two weeks in Plum Village. And I think he was looking at Joe when he asked it, but I jumped and again, something that I didn't expect. And um, I was saying something that that I at the moment that I said it, I want my words to jump back into my mouth. But nevertheless, I said, Ty, I feel so safe in Upper Hamlet. I'm the only woman in Upper Hamlet. At this retreat, I was the only one. And I feel so safe. And that's it. And it was a quietness in the audience. There was like literally um, nothing had been said. And, uh, and then Joe expressed what was for him. And... Um, I felt horrible at the same time that I felt uh, very happy to be there. I just felt with myself like um, I, I didn't understand why I said it. I mean, I know the story that can be attached to it, but I didn't understand why when I'm sitting with the Buddha, with this great river, I'm choosing to say something like this or something in me is choosing to say that instead of asking him anything I could or share about all the amazing people that I meet, about all the amazing practices that I meet for the first time in this tradition and so on. And I just got married, you know, I wrote my vo- my vows, I could say so many things, but I choose to say that. And um, when we went out of the room, we had a small gathering when the meeting finished with the three monastics and joined me and I was just giving myself such a hard time in front of everyone you know I'm so stupid why have I done that and so on I missed the biggest opportunity of my life and uh, we went home and uh, every now and then when I would sit and just sometimes in a, like as a daydream you know I would hear this sentence that I said to Stai and I feel very shy and and Again, feeling that I missed my opportunity. And the year passed by and uh, linked to the other story I told, this same delegation came to our house. Um, the brother that was with us in the room was giving us a disc, um, a compact disc that uh, those days, that's how the practice was preserved. And um, in in the teaching uh, that I gave for the new year, uh, that were a few days after we left, he mentioned uh, that story um, that I just shared. So he said, uh, and when the lady is saying that she feels safe, this is her home. And that was a, a beautiful um, recognition for us to, to, to feel that, first of all, we have a home. And for me, that I um, made something useful from something that I suffer for so long, thinking that I... Um, I missed my opportunity and apparently ties so value in that and could give a teaching that can help other people. And uh, there were a lot of lessons in that.
Yeah, and and I think you know th- this keeps coming back as a as um, something that's so important to me: the feeling of being home. So you know, as Pat said, I I, I said to Ty that they'd been two of the happiest weeks of my life because it was our first uh, visit to Plum Village, and he asked me why, and I said because I feel it's the first time I've come home to myself. I've been truly myself, and and I think that. That is, in a sense, the essence of so much of Thay's teachings, is that when we come home to ourselves, when we're at peace with ourselves, when we're able to be present for ourselves and to each other, then that is happiness. That, there's nothing much more than that. So, so you, know, you, know, my, you know, Paz and I have been together 15 years now, and... And what I've noticed is that in those 15 years, the way I am able to be in the outside world has been only because of the way I felt at home. That, that the love and support Paz gives me, the understanding, the tenderness, the uh, attention, the deep listening has given me a, a, a foundation on which I've been able to go out into the world and do all the work I've been doing around sort of climate and sustainability and social justice and global justice. And um, for me, the interbeing of Thai's core teachings is that, so, you know, Paz is an artist and, and, and creates everything, you know, has that whole vibrant, rich life herself but in terms of what she's offered me is the ability to go out and do this work so so that work is also Paz's work and I think that's the um that's the point about relationships that whatever I go and do in the world Paz is also doing it in the world I'm not doing it by myself alone and um, and so much of the time people like to sort of, you know, lay claim to things that it's because of me, you know, the egoic need to be separate, independent. It's me, it's mine. Um, I've always recognised that my success is Paz's success. Mm. Wow, beautiful. And just to let you know that um, when I listened to that talk that Tai gave, because I was sitting in the in the hall and Tai mentioned, I knew exactly it was the two of you and I had this huge smile on my face. But um, this talk has been very powerful. And for all of our friends who are listening and if you are wondering about the talk, it is on YouTube. And the title of the talk is Make a True Home of Your Love. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful teaching that uh, Tai delivered on how to take care of our love, how to nourish our love and the qualities of intimacy, which is physical, emotional and spiritual and how these three elements are also very essential in taking care of our relationship and taking care of our love that is present in all of us. And also for our friends uh, listening, we spoke a lot about beginning anew. So this is one of the core teachings of Plum Village. And if you are curious, more curious about it, you can also look out for the book uh, by Sister Jiang Kang that she have put together. And it's called Beginning Anew, Four Steps to Restoring Communication. Brother Fapu, can I ask you a question? Um, yes. It would be very easy for a Zen master 
to um, teach about meditation and mindfulness and, and to stay at a sort of um, a, quite a sort of conceptual level, um, you know, in, in, in a sort of traditional Zen way that you... you, you but, but Thai understood that actually, you know, the teachings need to be very relevant and, and, and he, he has done a lot of focus around relationships and the power of relationships. I'm, I'm just intri intrigued, what is it about Thai that, um, that helped him to realize actually that this needed to be a core part of the teachings because it would be very easy for him not to have gone into these details about intimacy and about, about because almost th those could be more the domain of sort of Western psychology than, uh, than Zen Buddhism. Mm. Yeah, good question, Joe. You yeah. always ask good questions. I know. I, I built a <laughs> career on them. Um, <laughs> I think when we take, when we practice Buddhism and we practice mindfulness, which is coming back to ourselves, learning how to take care of our emotions, take care of our feelings. And one of the emotions and one of the formations that we all have is the seed of love. And love doesn't just belong also in the domain of uh, romance. But love is an energy, it's a kind of nutriment that helps our well-being and it belongs also in the dimension of spirituality because when we get in touch with love, that gives us the energy to take care and transform suffering. And on a personal level, being close to Thai and being part of the attendant team that was um, um, taking care of his day-to-day -day, um, um, chores and um, being part of his uh, team in creating retreats. So we had a chance, I had a chance to be very close to him. And what I took away from all of this time being with him is knowing that he was always transmitting love to me. And love is not through just words. Of Today we spoke a lot about communication and deep listening, but love is also the way of being, the gestures that we offer each other, the way we look at each other, the way we, we are there for each other. Sometimes it's very simple. There are many moments in the mornings when before meditation, I make a cup of tea and I drink tea with Thai and we don't say a word, but sometimes I feel like communication is perfect in that moment. And that is through the time of presence, this quality that we have for each other. And that cup of tea is very real. That communication between Thai and me at that very moment is very real. And that's very fulfilling. That love is very fulfilling. And also on a note of our teacher's relationship with his teacher, which is our grandfather teacher in the spiritual dimension, Tai shared with us that Tai knew that um, his teacher loved him a lot. But um, in the older way, the, the older Eastern way, you, you're more shy about expressing love. And Tai, but Tai knew very deeply that his teacher loved him a lot. And it was through the simple gesture, sometimes um, inviting him for a meal. But he would never say like, Tai, my student, or my student, he wouldn't call him Thai, of course, but my student, I love you. And I think this was a way when Thai was growing up and 
it was a new world, right? I think there was much more diversity. The cultures were exchanging, um, and Thai being in the West exposed Thai to also a new way of 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 culture. And Thai also saw the importance of communication, and sometimes words have have energy and power that can shift someone's life and shift someone's experience. And that's where Thai saw that learning to express love is also very important. And that's where the four mantra comes um, into our dharma. And that's where we also have hugging meditation. It was the first time I learned hugging meditation was in Plum Village. And and I was in a retreat with my sister and my father for the first time. And growing up with my sister, um, I, I think any sibling relationship, we have a hate-love relationship. We love each other, but sometimes we also hate each other. We're always trying to do things that drive each other crazy. But we were at a rose ceremony in Plum Village. And a rose ceremony, very briefly, it's, it's to cultivate gratitude for our parents and then the ones around us. And at the end of the ceremony, the monks and the nuns say, now we're going to practice hugging meditation. And we are taught to, before giving a hug, normally we hug each other, we give, a, we give like a pat on each other's back, like pat, pat, pat. Like, but we say this, this time when we practice, it's going to be deeper. So before we even hug, we look at that person in the eye and we join our palm and in the practice when we join a palm is the bringing our body and mind together. So it's a gesture of you, of unification of body and mind. And you have to see the person in front of you for who they are. And you have to be present for them. And then you hug and in the hug, you, you give yourself three deep breaths and you have a contemplation. And the first breath you can say, I am here for you. The second breath, you recognize the person you're hugging and you say, I know you're there and I'm so happy. And the third breath is you contemplate impermanence that one day that the one that you love also will not be there. That's why this very moment of intimacy, of hugging, of physical contact, of knowing that he or she or they is there, you don't want to take it for granted. So I, I, I see that this is also, Thai have shared with me that Buddhism is not just a religion, but Buddhism is also a way of life. So this is Thai's work of renewing Buddhism, making Buddhism take root in this generation, in the West, in the East, and then for future generations to come. So it's making the language of the Buddha's teaching more down to earth and more accessible. And that's why I think the teachings on love is so needed today and it will never grow old. Yeah. And, and one thing, brother, you know, I think it'd be remiss to have a conversation about relationships without talking about physical intimacy, you know, beyond hugging and, and to talk about sex, because obviously with the monastics, you have a vow of chastity. Yes. Um, and, uh, and for people outside of the monastery, they don't. And, and, you know, the one thing that has been sort of most difficult for me to work with is that, you know, as a, that, you know, as a young person growing up, I had a real need around physical intimacy and sex. It was, it was something that, you know, I grew up 
um, in my family, I went to an all-boys school. I didn't really know girls and I was very shy and I was quite short for my age when I was uh, growing up. And for all sorts of reasons, um, sex became something that was uh, something to grasp. And, and, and I don't think it sort of, in a sense, had any, any um, connection to love, actually. It was, it was a need to that, that for sex would be for me to be accepted, I guess. Um, and so one of the things for me with Paz has been to try and uh, really engage sex with love as being together rather than separate. And, you know, and I, you know, one thing I've been aware of in my life is it's very, you know, the patterns in me run very deep. So you know, the idea of sex and need is still, you know, still resonates me. And, and what's changed over the years is to, to recognize that actually sex without love is actually meaningless. Right. We call that empty sex. Empty there, sex. Right? Yeah. And, and, and to sort of, and also to try and disengage the fact that Paz's love for me is based on either sex or no sex. If, if there's no, no sex on that moment, then actually she's rejecting me. And, and also recognition that I then use that to be rejected. You know, for me, that I was so used to a pattern of feeling rejection that actually I created the very conditions in which that could be recreated time and time again. And I, I sort of went, when I grew up, you know, uh, in my sort of 20s and 30s, I, I could never understand, you know, this idea that, that a person who'd been, let's say, abused as a child, would m there would be more of a chance that that person would become an abuser. That sort of, and it always struck me as so, so odd that, that someone who had been hurt would then seek to create hurt, that same pattern of hurt in their lives. Um, but actually, you know, that was an aspect of my life, which is that, um, that the, the pain of, of rejection, I then sort of portrayed into my life with Paz. And so, so, you know, that's been one of the sort of, in a sense, the, the biggest issues I've been facing into and addressing and working on is to not, or to l less often play into that because I know it's not true. And I know that my love for Paz and Paz's love for me is beyond a physical act. And I look at her and I find her very beautiful and I, you know, I love her dearly. So, so, you know, it's, it's just been, that is a pattern that's been, I've been working on that. I sort of feel has been a, a big one. And I think is in many people's lives is that, that, you know, sex is not love, but sex with love is very beautiful. Yeah, you both looking at me, I have to say something. <laughs> uh, so, so um, now it's interesting to to hear Joe and um, and and to say something as a woman as well because um, women suffer a lot from uh, feeling harassed. I think that's the word harassed. And I I know for myself that because of this need, as I expressed earlier, to have a home. Um, I would, it would be very easy for me in the, in the many years that I was looking for the right relationship to, to misinterpret um, sex with love and also to not have the discernment when somebody is falling for me for any reason, um, 
to fall back for them, even if I'm not really 100% there, just because they love me, I love them. So the, the, um, that creates often um, a gap. And it's quite, it's quite painful when you wake up to see that. And, and the gap of mixing indeed between sex and love and always, always underneath for me was the other dimension. So much yearning and longing for a spiritual dimension in my relationship. And to have the three things that I feel that we have um, is, is a big gift. And to see them feeding towards each other and uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it reminds me, you know, that Ty has said, you know, that you can share the same bed, but if you don't share the same aspiration, then that relationship will not blossom. And I think, you know, that at the core, what supports our relationship is that we both have a similar dream. And that dream is to, you know, we're, we're both searchers. We're looking to deepen our understanding of ourselves, deepen our understanding of life, and deepening our wish to express that in very different forms. And Paz hasn't really talked about her art, but Paz expresses her deep, deepest yearnings and her deepest um, learnings through through her art. You know, and sometimes she'll have an insight and that will get... Uh, transferred into her art. For me, it's been about um, about helping other people to heal and helping the world to heal. So, so actually, that itself is also a core sort of foundation that allows our relationship to prosper. Because when Paz wants to share around her sort of spiritual life, then. I want to learn from that. You know, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a deep sharing. It's, a, you know, pa when Paz has an insight, as you know, sometimes on this podcast, I share those, you know, I say, I say, oh, Paz said this and Paz said that, because I feel that we're not just learning for ourselves, we're learning for each other. And, I, and I've seen many times in many relationships where one person in a relationship will have a, a spiritual yearning that is not reflected in their partner. And, for them, that is very painful, you know, and obviously we we look for for um for those connections beyond just a relationship. We look for it in our, in our friends and and in our community. But actually, where we most want it is is at home and and that has been sort of, I think a core part of what uh, of our love is that it's not just a share, you know, it's, it's more than just a shared interest. It's not like we both like reading. It's like, it's like something that's very, very deep. And that comes out from, from sort of the deep unconscious. And I, and I think, you know, being able to work on those levels to the extent we're able to, to say, actually, there is m so much more to life. And the more we engage with those levels, both individually and together, actually is an extraordinary journey. Wow. Thank you, Joe. And thank you, Paz, for joining our podcast. And how do you feel now? Terrible. <laughs> I, 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 well, so it's funny, Fapu, because, you know, when I'm facilitating, right. when I'm facilitating a conversation, there's part of it which is, you know, in a sense, I'm holding, I'm in charge, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding the energy of it. So actually to let go and let, let you hold that, it's like, no, don't do this to me. And you, and you realize actually as a journalist, you know, part of the reason people become journalists, it's quite a powerful place 
because actually you get to ask the questions. No one gets to ask the journalist the questions. So actually it's quite powerful because you get to ask whatever you want, but you don't have to answer anything. So today I realised, can we go back to how it was next week, please? Next week, next week. <laughs> How's it been for you? It's been really, really fun because I get to listen so much more and I really enjoy hearing the experience from my dear friends and being open. And I think I've learned a few new things today also. And Pazzy, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Now I know what does it mean to have a microphone in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) And appreciate your work. (gasps) So, dear friends, um, if you've enjoyed this episode, oh God, I hope you have, um, then you can hear many more. um, And you can hear The Way Out as in podcast series on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on other platforms that carry podcasts. And to mention, last but not least, our very own podcast. Plum Village app. And this podcast was brought to you by the generous donors of the Tignihan Foundation. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast and the work of the international Plum Village community, please visit www.tnhf.org slash donate. And Brother Fapu, we finish, as always, hopefully, with a short guided meditation. So, um... Let us all sit back and Fapu, over to you. Dear friends, wherever you may be, you're sitting, walking, going for a jog, cleaning the house. If you can allow yourself to be still for a few moments so that we can enjoy breathing together. Let me guide you into this meditation. In this very moment, become aware of your in-breath. Breathing in, I know this is my in-breath. And become aware of your out-breath. Breathing out, I recognize this is my out-breath. In-breath, out-breath. If the breath is short, let it be short. If the breath is long, let it be long. Recognizing in-breath, recognizing out-breath. As I breathe in, I am one with my in-breath from the beginning to the end. And as I breathe out, I am one with my out-breath from the beginning to end. I take refuge in my in-breath. I take refuge in my out-breath. As I breathe in, I become aware of my body, offering my body a smile of love. As I breathe out, I relax my whole body offering my body love and care. Recognizing, aware of my head, my face, my shoulders, my chest, my back, my abdomen, my lower body. And just giving gratitude to my whole body, supporting me 
in every day. And as I breathe in, I am in touch with the seed of loving kindness in me. The ability to care for myself and the ability to care for others. Breathing out, I nourish loving kindness in me. Breathing in, I am in touch with the seed of compassion in me. Breathing out, I nourish that compassion in me. Compassion allowing me to love myself, to care for myself, to be there for my suffering. And compassion the energy to understand other, to have space for other, to see the difference in others and accept. Understanding and compassion inside of me. Breathing in, I'm in touch with the element of joy in me. Breathing out, I smile to the element of joy. Joy of breathing, joy of life, joy of being able to love, joy of being able to receive love. Love is inside of me and around me. And breathing in, I get in touch with the seed of equanimity in me, inclusiveness, breathing out. I develop and continue to nourish the capacity of openness, acceptance, equanimity in me. I am in you and you are in me. My joy is also your joy. Your happiness is also my happiness. My success is also your success. And your success is also my success. Your suffering is also my suffering. And my suffering is also your suffering. We get in touch with the nature of interbeing everything coexisting. Breathing in, I smile to my in-breath. Breathing out, I smile to my out-breath. Thank you, friends, for practicing with us and see you next time on our podcast.
ราเกสเกน